You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. It's the Bedroom Beethoven Podcast. Whoa, you just blew my mind because nobody talks about that shit. Like, thank you for this. Like, I was looking forward to this chat, man. I love your interviews. I thank you for what you're doing. Like, it's excellent. And um, people can continue to learn the stories of, the, of these uh, bedroom Beethoven's. Um, how did you find out about this? Are you? Oh, my God. Having something like this to shed light on, on, on us is amazing. Like, we really need this documentation. So people like you are definitely needed. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 57 of the podcast. My guest this week is... What's going on, man? My name is Stolen Drums. I am a bedroom Beethoven, pun intended. <laughs> I make beats, produce some stuff for Mick Jenkins, and a few other notable people, and I do a party. Uh, well, I, I kind of come from a collective in Atlanta called Controllerize Me, and some friends of mine started it a while back, and that is another thing that people know me for. Yeah. When you think of someone like Stolen Drums, do you think low, grimy beats and a work ethic that has spanned the military, six-figure jobs, photography gigs, and now in his late 30s, the luxury of being able to figure out his path and excel. It's not about money. It's about providing for his loved ones and feeding his artistic soul. The one path that you've chosen yourself is the truth of your universe. So let's document his story, shall we? Before we get into it, please humor me for a minute. Doing this podcast takes a lot of coordination, time, and energy, and without your support, I'm basically doing this in outer space. So BedroomBeethoven's.com is a website I built from the ground up to share all the content with you connected to the social media channels, and you can even reach out to me directly. No need to slide into my DMs on Instagram. Take your time. Write me a full-fledged letter. I don't care that we're in the microwave generation. I still appreciate a good, well-thought-out piece of thought. And of course, patreon.com slash bedroom Beethoven's where you can financially support me by donating to the show. And in exchange, I have some cool goodies and perks. And I mean, you can head on to the website and buy a t-shirt. Please support me if you like what I do. And if you've done so already, I know who you are. Thanks. From day one, the motivation was to create impact and inspiration through music, art, and design. So if that's what you're looking for, you're in the right place. Stolen Drums, Bedroom Beethoven's, episode 57.
Yeah, as an introvert, I think these conversations are an essential part of maintaining mental wellness as a creator to just talk about life and your journey. Because I don't know if I can be real with you, but I'm getting real tired of seeing like Wiz Khalifa tweet at me, telling me to roll one up and seize the day. It's like, man, have you seen my W two? Like, my life isn't that easy. And <laughs> like, like Ill Mind, I love him, great producer, but. When he tweets inspirational quotes, it's like reading LeBron James saying, hey, you know, the moment I stopped dribbling the ball on weekends and took time out for myself is when the NBA contracts and the millions came. And it's just I don't I don't like millionaires giving me inspiration. I like talking to producers who've put in their 10,000 hours and are in the trenches who aren't prophesizing. You know, I'm, I'm familiar with your journey. You're out of this world talented. And I'm just I'm very grateful that you're here. I'm grateful to be here, man. I appreciate it. And like, yeah, I am 100 percent the every man of this producer stuff, dude. So like, I, I take great pride in being one of the fellas that's like in the same position that the people who listen to me are in. Like, um, I'm working just like you working on some Andre 3000 shit, you know? I think you're celebrating a wedding anniversary too, or you just did? 20 years, my guy. 20 years, man. Woo. Yeah, man. Congratulations. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I got a grown ass man for a son. You feel me? Like, I'm, I'm old, bro. I've, uh, my wedding anniversary is next month. I'm celebrating six years. I got two kids. I'm in the suburbs. I know how it is. That's all good. That's (laughs) it. That's life, man. That's good stuff. You were, you were born in Detroit? Yeah, I was born in Detroit, Michigan. How long did you live there? I lived there until about seven years old. And then I left and came back from time to time. But yeah. Was the ATL was the next chapter or you moved around a little bit before you came there? I moved so much, bro. We went from Detroit to Turkey. From Turkey to Germany, from Germany uh, to Maryland, stayed in Maryland for about another seven years. Maryland, PA, like the border um, of Maryland, Pennsylvania, for about another seven years. Graduated high school, immediately got the fuck out of Dodge because I didn't like the place that I was in. And then went Texas, Italy, came back to the crib for a little bit. This is a very long answer to your question, my bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it, it reminds me of that quote, because um, I'm an anime head too, and, and Goran Logan about having eyes in the front of your head, because if they were in the back, all you could see is your hometown getting further away. Right. So Detroit was the original starting point, but I guess your legacy is going to be in Atlanta. I think so, man. I'm here for a while. Um, I, I enjoy community here. I feel like there's a, a level of access that people have to each other here that they don't have in other places, like the guard is now more so. A good example, I was working with this company and we were doing some uh, surveying out here. And I was an engineer doing engineer work or whatever. So mind you, I'm like with a bunch of MIT guys or whatever. And we're riding through like the bluffs in Atlanta, which is like a famous, like rough neighborhood, if you will. And um, they were nervous, which is understandable. There's a lot of pit bulls and weights and shit outside the streets and, you know, regular hood stuff that was happening. They were nervous, and I was like, don't be nervous. This is Atlanta. Like, they might rob you, but they'll be nice. And then I, like, rolled down my window and said, hey, bro, what's good, man? And this random dude on the corner I'd never seen before in my life. He's like, what's happening, man? Like, and that's Atlanta. You feel me in a nutshell? Like, that's that's here. That doesn't really exist anywhere else that I've found so far. So, yeah. They're nice because it's it's survival. It's not personal. Yeah, it's not, bro. Like, people here, people like, good people are good people in general, like, but... I just noticed, man, in Atlanta, like, it's just, I don't know, bro. It's just that Southern hospitality thing is a real thing, and uh, I really appreciate it, so. But you're in the suburbs right now. Yeah, I'm in um, I'm in Gwinnett County. I'm North Atlanta. Okay, and, and growing up, your your uncle had, had a record store. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, did most. your pops also have a heavy interest in music? Did everyone, like all the men in your family, kind of have a, a gravitation towards music? No, nah, my uncle was was like definitely my catalyst into the whole music thing, man. And like, um, he had Aces Jams on Seven Mile, and then they had a store in Mammoth where the Detroit is. I remember Mammoth the Flea Market. They had a store over there too. On Seventh Mile, that's where Slum Village grew up. Exactly, exactly. So when I met. Uh, I met my OG Shoes way later in life, you know what I'm saying, like a couple years ago, like type of thing. And I didn't know, you know, that he had been to the store, but he told, he's like, yeah, we used to go over there all the time. So I was like, oh, that's so crazy. So I imagine, you know, no concrete evidence. I'm not saying it definitely happened, but I imagine if Shoes was there, everybody was there. So it's like, damn, y'all was that close the whole time. I didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. So you moved around a lot. You got out of Dodge. I heard that you joined the military at 17. You served a three-year stint in Italy uh, in the United States Air Force as a senior airman. I wanted to talk about that because graduates who accept pilot training are committed to active duty for nine years. ROTC uh, generally requires a five-year payback. Why was three years the length that you wanted to get out of that experience? Multiple levels. First and foremost, let me commend you on your level of research. This is pretty intense. I'm impressed. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but second, yeah, I was I was a standard goon when I went into the military. Very smart, very bright young man. But I had a lot of bad habits. And some of those bad habits resulted in me having the option, still left under honorable conditions, but being presented the option to go home. So when I got presented that option, I went home. And, you know, I didn't have an additional commitment that I had to serve after that. So I didn't. <laughs> I got up out of there. I got lucky. Uh, when I left, I got a pretty good job and um, I kind of ran with it. So that's so why I took three years and got out, man. You know what? I, I don't like Trump and I don't like how much money he set aside to create the Space Force, but damn, if it wouldn't be a cool job. And in order to join Space Force, you have to be in the Air Force, though. Yeah, I don't think those dudes are coming back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a one way ticket. Any regrets on that staying longer? None, man. I do miss the community. Uh, of folks in the military, it seemed like, you know, we had, um, how you say, uh, like the, the division between us was less so. Willie Lynch syndrome was a little bit less effective in the military. Uh, but, you know, out here, it, it's a little different. So I miss that. Outside of that, man, and I, you know, I, I learned some structure and discipline and every experience that I had so far, you know, has kind of culminated to, to kind of put me in the position I'm in now. So I don't, I don't, I don't take anything, you know what I'm saying, for granted. And and I don't I don't not appreciate that time. It was great. Uh the folks were great, the lessons were great. You know what I'm saying? Even the hardships were good lessons, you know. It was really your trip to Japan that made you refound your inspiration, not so much the structure and discipline of the military. It was Japan, right? Yeah, Japan helped a lot, man. It helped a lot. I was I had been about the music shit forever, right? Like I used to freestyle rap in the back of my uncle's car when I was a little kid and stuff. So like it's not a new thing, but Japan kind of, you know, I, I kind of fell off over time or whatever. And going back out there and linking up with my fellas and like, you know, making some music and just playing around with that shit and being around it again in that way. Just like it got me supercharged up. Man. What's the connection between fruit in Japan and hip hop? Because the fruit is pure. Same with hip hop. Man, man, this is <laughs> this is dope.
yeah, so in Japan, you have, for whatever reason, right? Like, let's, let's use strawberries for an example. You bought strawberries in the United States, and they made them in some random-ass field somewhere, sprayed a bunch of chemicals on them, threw them in a box. You got to wash them five times before you eat them, because if you don't, you might get sick, you know? In Japan, literally, the strawberries come from volcanic ash, and there's a picture of the dude who grew them on a damn box when you buy them sometimes. Like, the level of attention to detail and and, and just, like, intention is so freaking hot that it kind of, I think it just, it's in everything. It's, like, in the DNA of the culture. And you can see it in the music, you know what I mean? You can see it in, in whatever. Like, if you're a trash man in Japan, like, you do that shit for real. Like, you study and you work hard and you were probably an apprentice for five years before they let you drive the truck that fucking structure and that like that just i don't know man that professionalism is this shit is beautiful bro I, I, it made me care more about everything else i did just being out there catching that inspiration from it anthony bourdain once said that there that for those with with restless curious minds fascinated by layer upon layer of things flavors tastes and customs which we will never fully be able to understand tokyo is deliciously unknowable and he said that he's sure that he could spend the rest of his life there learn the language and still die happily ignorant i 1000 percent agree with that quote and anthony bourdais is a fucking man rest in peace yeah for instance uh uh, I guess expanding on your strawberry analogy, Japan has strawberries called the scent of first love that are completely white inside and out with red seeds. That part. <laughs> there are 20 different types of strawberries. They have developed them to the point that they can sell luxury strawberries for $600 per strawberry. Yeah. yeah that's Japan dude. And freaking thousand dollar watermelons and $500 freaking cantaloupes and that. You know what I mean? Like, I bought $20 grapes last time I was out there. And I didn't hesitate. I didn't feel weird about it. Like, I knew it was appropriate. I actually told the lady, like, Hansoni, this is Takai. Like, it's expensive. Like, and then she was like, no. These came from this family. It's the right price. <laughs> like, that's the level of quality. You feel me? The flip side is, from what I heard, Japanese strawberries were ruling the market. And Koreans were set to pay heavy fees to use them. So, Koreans went ahead and created their own variety called Solhong. And Japanese lost their revenue and the Korean market. I don't know. I guess it's human nature for us to create conflict out of something beautiful. Yeah, man. It's, not, it's the thing. There's always a dark side. There's always two, you know, there's always a duality. Like, there would be no good if there wasn't a bad. That's the harsh reality. And you touched on it. Like, when you left Japan, you came back to the States. If you're not, and like you said, if you're not aware, Tokyo at the time was the most expensive city in the world. And that's not an opinion. There is data provided by economists to back that up. Right. So, Life in Japan was harsh and expensive. The U.S. had a similar set of challenges around the time that you moved back in 2008, 2009, where with physical sales declining at a rapid rate and Bandcamp, SoundCloud, and streaming services not yet available or widely used, many artists and labels were completely lost with how to monetize and promote their art. So, I mean, what's going on through your head? I mean, you're leaving the most expensive city in the world to come back to a very dark time in America. I mean, 2008 was like the housing collapse and all that stuff. So yeah. I, I didn't like, so, you know, in, in Japan, I, I worked full time in the daytime as a graphic designer. I made blueprints and exploded diagrams, of equipment, whatever. Um, nighttime, I ran a studio and I was, I was rapping and me and my homies were doing like shows together. We did promotion work. And um, I had like my first record deal out there. I did a video game soundtrack or whatever. It was tight. Uh, Mad World is the game. 
Look it up. Is that for platinum games? It is. It is. I, f- I figured you would know that. That's tight. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 day job company lost that that contract that we had out there, and I couldn't. I wasn't making enough to like support everything, you know, from the house. You know what I mean? I made a little bit of money, but not that much. Uh, I think my rent was like almost four grand a month at that point. So I had to go. So we left. We came back. And I imagine when I got back, I can just kind of keep it going. Like, all right, cool. I'll just keep rapping and putting shows on and whatever when I get home. And no, that wasn't the case. Like, nobody cared. You feel me? Like, when I first got, I came to Atlanta on a on a visit when I first got back. And um, I met uh, DJ Toon. You're listening to Toon. I remember this shit. You probably don't. But uh, yeah, I gave him like my demo <laughs> for Sisters Only. And it was like, hey, listen, I've been listening to all the stuff that you did with Tip and blah, blah, blah. And I'm a big fan. You could just take a listen, man. I'd appreciate it. And he was like, thanks for handing me this, man. I mean, a lot that you took the time out your day, sat that shit on the table, and walked away. Never picked it up. And that was basically like the energy. You know what I'm saying? Like I went to radio stations, same thing, took them the demo and all the product. And they were just like, yeah, that's cool. But everybody does this shit. You know, why, why are you special? And, and, and I wasn't. You know, like I was in, in Japan. I was American. And nobody else was really doing what I was doing. So... You know, it was like 10 of us. So I, we were super special. But out at, at the house, we weren't. Everybody did the same shit. Like, like I got a million rappers. Why do I care about you? So, you know, harsh reality. Uh, that shit sits in. And then you look at the job market and that shit sits in. And it's like, I got I to gotta figure something out. So, you know, just it was a lot of hustle, bro. Like, um, you know, working in the daytime, working in the nighttime and trying to figure out two or three different revenue streams. I started taking pictures for money, turned into music videos for money, turned into really my career for a while. So unless you did a record with New Jabez, it's almost like, well, nobody cares about that chapter. Start again. There's this U.S. producer career, and then there's a Japanese career, and getting put on in both regions to bridge that gap, that's almost impossible. So when you came back, you had to start at square one again. I did. I did. It was 100% start over. Like, nobody cares. What are you going to do? Um, and that's how I got into photography. I kind of pivoted. Was, like, was this before or after you worked at Google? This is way before. Yeah, I did the pivot. So this is way before. Yeah, okay. yeah. This is probably five, six years before. Shit, maybe we don't. Maybe more than that. Maybe like ten years almost. Because I came back in '09, so like yeah, um, 2013 ish is when I got the gig with Google. 2014, somewhere around there. And you, you must have been making pretty good money at that point. Yeah, that was probably the most money I ever got paid in the states working with that gig. Yeah, yeah. That was after like the five year run with the photography, video stuff, and then. And it was cool. You probably got pressure from the wife for stability and like, hey, you know, stay here and and do this. It brings a stable paycheck. And then you 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 have to put your, your music dreams on the back burner. So not to get too cuckoo and spiritual, but do you feel like you got laid off from Google because because once you fell out of love with your day job and you got reinvigorated with this passion with music, maybe the universe made it happen. And listen, we we we've been through so much. At this point, I met my wife when I was in school, like in middle school, low key. Like, so I've known her my whole life. So we've been pretty much homeless together. We've made damn near a quarter million dollars a year together. You know what I mean? Like, we've been through peaks and valleys. We've been through the whole shit. The Google thing was probably the second most trying time that we've had. When I moved to Atlanta, we stayed in an extended stay with no plan. I just had a little bit of unemployment money and like a lot of grind. And we hustled out of that into an apartment, shooting music videos, and hustled out of that into a townhouse, shooting music videos. And then I got this game, Google job, and that got us a house. 
But right after I got the house in the car and all of that good stuff and the, the in-laws moved in and we started doing the American Dream shit, they laid me off. So like the pressure, I think there was just, is this thing going to fall apart? You know, more so than just, you need to make X amount of dollars so everybody can be cool. It was like, are we going to have a house next month? Is this, are we going to keep our car? How are we feeding the kids? That was, that was the pressure. So it wasn't really a stability thing. It was just a fucking, you know, anxiety thing. So I'm watching her freak out just on the strength that like, shit, I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, I, when you say, you know what I mean? I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, but they really don't. I've known my wife since fifth grade. She signed my seventh grade yearbook. I've We're in the same situation. <laughs> I've had years where I've had extreme anxiety. We've had good six-figure years. We've had bad years. So like to come out on top and to keep going, I can really, really appreciate that journey. Yeah, man. No, it's 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 a lot, but that's life, man. You know, that's life. That's life, and and you're designed to be a creative person. You're you're gifted in a specific way, but the gift isn't for you alone. The gifts we have are meant to be shared. Flying Lotus, even with his last album, wasn't sure if people were checking with him. Your man, Black Cubes, he wanted to share his art with the world, but for a long time, he was too afraid to do just that. So, how do you share your art when you struggle with insecurities? When your inner critic shouts down your attempts, I just do that shit anyway. That's it. Like, do more things that make you nervous. Do more things that make you scared. If you feel like it might fail, that's because it might not. You know what I mean? And I know that sounds weird and that's like slightly condescending, but it's the truth. Like, there's no way that you're going to be able to stand up to the bully of life when it's beating your ass if you don't just stand up and do that shit. Like, if you you sit down and ask what if, you're just going to sit down and ask what if. And then 10 years from now, you'll still be going, damn, I could have did that shit. Don't do that. Just fucking do it. If it sucks, it sucks. If it's great, it's great. You know, but you did it. You got it done. On the topic of fear, what about spiders? Yeah, I don't fuck with spiders. <laughs> I thought it would be beneficial to take a minute out and add a layer of perspective to what it's like working with stolen drums. You've gotten the taste of how his mind works, but what is it like working with him? I call upon one of my favorite rappers, who in time will no doubt be a Memphis legend, who goes by the name of Pro. Just a quick side note, go on YouTube, find his Jam in the Van video, Whew. but he tells me the story on how they first met and what it was like creating in his Atlanta home. Working with stolen drums is a pretty genuine experience, and I, I like pretty natural and pretty honest type vibes. And um, my whole experience just working with him, it just, it just felt chill. It just felt like, you know, he was really kicking it with the homies. And uh, I've only worked, worked, really worked with him a couple times, but I really am a big energy person, like I said. And his energy was always really welcoming and genuine. And I, I appreciate him for, you know what I'm saying, let me in his home. That we met in ATL in 2017 um, or 2016. Uh, I had just moved up there. Uh, I was just networking with people. And funny thing was, I, I didn't meet him like on no music stuff or I didn't even really know who he was off rip. I just happened to run into him like a few times in like the Marietta like area. And I thought he was cool because he had like really cool hair. And I thought he was dope because he would always be skateboarding when I saw him. And like, you know, I just had, had a vibe like he did some type of music. And that's what initially made me to chat with him. I introduced myself and that's what started it. But um, like within working with him, you know, we talked about like vegan tacos 
and I actually like food, the food vegan tacos. And we talked about his projects and just really talked about, you know, taking risks and setting goals. And his, his you know, his personality is really what you see is what you get. And, and, and that's the type of energy, you know, personally, I appreciate. And it's just very real down to earth, as people like to say, you know. But other than that, man, uh, you can catch me on IG. Follow me at Pro P R. E-A-U-X-X uh, Luxurious Steve Austin out now Blunt in my hand The official music video out now on YouTube So uh, y'all follow me, y'all check me out And uh, keep it going, man I don't take no shit, but I talk it Coach these young niggas look wild, man Well, I, you know, I mentioned Black Cubes He is the cat that started the collective with you But why did the original inception involve political activists coming out and talking about their platform instead of just anime video games and beats why was that the original idea because it's about community i mean still to this day it's 100 percent about community like we're not motivated by trying to make 10 million dollars or be famous on a goofy shit like that no disrespect to folks that do have those intentions but for us it's legacy and community so like how do we leave the greatest possible positive impact on the folks that we come in contact with that's the end game at all times, to be honest with you. That's why when you come through, it's always spread love, take care of each other, look out for your folks. All of that energy is what we're about. Those are the, the core values, if you will. We definitely wanted to bring that aspect in and talk about community challenges and issues. And when we did, people were like, cut the music back on. What are you doing? Um, so we were like, okay, that's probably not the best way to do that. So we got to figure out how to do it in different ways. So we support, you know. And local initiatives and, and we try and make sure that if there's a way we can signal boost we will that type of thing so you've perfected that formula in 2020 people get it now i don't know if it's perfected i don't think there's a such thing as perfect i think you know we do what we can to be better this week than last week and better next week than this week yeah, that's that's pretty much i think that's all we can do it's interesting because like we're both graphic designers and when you're a designer and you're building websites and marketing events and putting together things that appeal to the masses, you inadvertently become a marketer. You can't help it. And people, mm -hmm. they don't buy experiences, products, or businesses. People buy themselves. And if people resonate with something you're doing, they're going to support you. Yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah. Listen to them. Again, impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank yeah. you. And, you know, it's more so not so much people that buy into you. It's how businesses can stand out from similar competitors by communicating its differences. It's the only way that I can warrant a $600 strawberry. Japan has a value prop that Atlanta does not. And you need to penetrate a person's limbic brain because that is the part of the brain that processes trust and loyalty. If I think you're a dope producer, I've made that decision in my mind, but you don't have my trust and loyalty because your next album could suck. So if I'm comparing your music on Bandcamp to a $600 strawberry in Japan, are humans still using reason at all when making decisions? Mm, that's heavy, bro. Reality is perception, and this is an exercise that I've inadvertently kind of done. I launched this drum kit, and well, a couple years ago, I don't know exactly when or what date I launched it, which I should, but I don't. This is how my brain works. But yeah, I launched it, and I shot some video content. And because I had used, you know, I was used to shooting video content, that was my job for a bit. I knew how to do it. I knew how to make it look cool, and I made the audio sound good. And I tried to present it in a way that that felt right, and the lighting was tight. And the only other person I found that was on the platform promoting something in the same way was Timberland. And if you looked at the video I shot and you looked at the video his sh he shot, I mean, I can see the difference. You know what I mean? Because I can see the money he spent or they spent, I should say, because there's a big ass company behind that platform. 
But to most people on Instagram, swiping on your phone, they look very similar. So I think in people's minds, you know, without thinking about it, they just said, yeah, they're the same. That shit looks the same. You know, they're the same type of dude. And not to discount anything else that may have happened, but that shit helps so much for career, just people seeing you in that way. So perception is reality. I think the lesson from that is take your time and create the best quality content that you can. Like regardless, right? Like if you're doing anything, it doesn't matter what it is. If I got shoe strings, make them the best possible quality that you can. Beats, sounds, visuals, marketing, whatever it is, take your time, make it the best. Because at the end of the day, quality is, that's pretty much all you got to stand on. Well, you're the type of producer who stays true to themselves and makes the best music that sounds the best to yourself. What if that wasn't marketable? What if what sounded best for you didn't sell? Would you compromise? No. The only reason I exist is because I do me. The only place people can get you is from you. You know what I mean? That's the only product that you really can sell, folks, as a musician or creative, is you. If you compromise that product, then where else can they get it from? You have to do you. You know what I mean? And you have to believe in yourself. Like, even if you don't believe in yourself, act like you do until everybody else does. Like, you you know, that's that's the product. As soon as you start diluting that shit and trying to be somebody else, I'm just going to go somewhere else and get that thing that you're trying to be. Just do you. I imagine it's the worst kind of situation because what if you make a good beat, you sell it, and this celebrity MC doesn't pay you? And even though you're in your hotel, you're you're in a, an extended stay Beethoven at this point. You're not even a bedroom Beethoven. <laughs> and even when the work is done, there's still that business side, the other side where you have to chase down people to make sure you can improve your situation in due time. I imagine you have a chip on your shoulder now because making a good beat and getting paid, it doesn't end there. So what do you do? Yeah, there's, there's another challenge, right? So this whole high quality, be yourself, you know, pay attention to yourself thing is how I think the future of this whole music thing is moving. You see records from famous musicians and they have a bunch of producers on them and that's great. But in my space, in my circle, I care about the producer. So I'm looking out for Katra when he drops his new project. I'm looking out for DB when he drops his new project. I'm looking out for Raj D when they drop their new project. So I'm looking for Cubes when he drops his new one. If he gets some, some features and some placements, that's great. I'm not super concerned about those. Not to discount them. Congratulations to my friend. That's what I, you know, I want to see him win. But at the same time, I want his music. The community that, that we build when we create, they don't need to see you with this guy or that guy. That community is your community. So what's happening, I think, now in 2020 and moving forward, as as we get more access to folks and things become more linear, it's just about community building. If you got a thousand people that support you, you're good. It doesn't matter if 20 million people heard your beat because Kendrick Lamar rapped on it. That doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, it helps. Is this cool? And maybe you'll get some accolades and possibly some money. But in 20 years, like those folks that really support you and really vibrate with your frequency. You know what I mean? They'll still be supporting you. Folks like Sky Zoo and freaking Elzai and anybody else from that like true school area that you see still on the road, still commanding sold out shows when they move around as a product of that. You know what I mean? Those folks are like community leaders. They built their own space. They built their own little circle. And even if you're not checking for them, there's a thousand people who are. That's why they're good. And they got big ass houses and they live the life they want to. Yeah. I was always wondering what happened to Corey guns after he was on a Millie on Lil Wayne. And then he just disappeared. Like, how can you be on the biggest record of the year and not and don't capitalize on it? But I, I think it's more than just street smart. I think it's business and 
thinking about tomorrow rather than today. And I agree with, with a lot of what you just said. And I want people to hear what you're saying because within a year of your first upload on Spotify, you played the biggest hip hop festival on the planet. You, you played South by, you rocked the Mercedes Benz stadium. You got the cover of Spotify's lo-fi hip hop playlist. You played the world famous low end theory beat cinema Nam in LA, you co-founded an art collective, you created an online live stream radio show, Beats and Chill. How can someone not give you your flowers, man? I just so I just want to highlight you and commend you for all the decisions and the journey you've made. I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. And like I say this shit all the time. I'm I'm here to facilitate, bro. Like, I'm just here to make dope beats and you know what I'm saying, try and get them to the good people. And you know, just I just want to be around greatness and shit. And I'm like super grateful and just thankful that I get to play my little small role in that shit from time to time. And like the stuff like ABL and stuff like the Mercedes Benz and all this stuff like State Farm Arena this year, even like all this stuff comes from good people. You know what I mean? All this stuff comes from some, from greatness around you. Like I didn't do any of that shit by myself. You know what I mean? I just played a role and, and folks looked out. So when I went to LA you know, DB and Shoes and everybody else out there was like, yo, you got to come to low end with us. You got to fool with us. Boop, boop, boop. And, and then it happened. You know, it made sense. But, like, good people did that. You know what I mean? So, again, it comes back to community, man, and just, you know, understanding that shit. Like, the community is a lot. And it's, like, maybe that's the military speaking. It's bigger than me. You know what I mean? Uh, service before self is is a core value at least for the Air Force. So even when you did your photography stints and you worked with GZ Future, Schoolboy Q, were those networking opportunities or it was like, let me just do the work and, and do a good job and leave? I was really on that. Like, I never took a picture with those dudes. I never tried to chase clout. I don't want anything from them. I just want to leave good energy with them. You know what I'm saying? Leave shit better when you when you leave it than when you found it. At least try to. Like, that's that's been my MO the whole time. And like, that's just worked out pretty good you know that's that's pretty much the mission like at all times and like those relationships helped me a ton but it wasn't because i tried to you know leverage them to do so it was just happenstance like that's what happens when you when you you know like intentionally put good energy out there i think so are you a point where you're able to fully articulate what you hear in your mind no i don't i don't think anybody is um i'm close maybe closer now (laughs) <laughs> than I was before. But no, I don't think anybody can really get all that shit in their brain now. You think it'll change? Like, I mean, what's the state of lo-fi? I mean, we know it has a long way to go, but major labels are paying attention. What is lo-fi? I'm not going to dare label you a lo-fi producer. I've learned my lesson in the past. <laughs> but the difference between a Samurai Champloo soundtrack and a, an Atlanta trap beat or disco in the 70s, it's it's all kind of in a blender. I'm going to say lo-fi just because it's a Spotify playlist at this point and some some young 18 to 25-year-old producers like to call themselves a lo-fi producer, but I don't know. I, I see a rise in that genre, however you want to label it. Yeah. It's a weird label, man. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't knock it. You know what I mean? I feel like it's a brand that got stuck on something that existed for a long time, but I, I don't think that takes away from the ability of that word to command attention and energy. And I think there's value to that. Like the rising tide brings all ships up or however that goes. At the same time, there's a bit of a a challenge. If you look at the Spotify playlist as your source for that genre of music, if we're calling it that, 
the I, I fuck with Spotify. Right. Don't get it confused. They've they've helped me pay rent or mortgage now, you know, for a while. And I appreciate that. And I think that vehicle is amazing in that respect. At the same time, it's one part of the ecosystem versus the entire ecosystem. I think because it's so because it's so big and the brand is so strong, I think a lot of people kind of forget the rest of the ecosystem, if you will. Like there's a whole real world thing happening. There's a there's an entire legacy of musicians that came before any of us that 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 allowed us to stand on their shoulders and create the shit that we create now. You know what I mean? And like those guys, for all intents and purposes, were making lo-fi too. I don't get angry when I see a kid from New Zealand, you know, that's still in in high school making whatever he's making, doing 50 bajillion streams a month. I think that's tight. The challenge is when I go see my OG in LA and he's still working his day job. He don't got a car yet. I just see the disparity between the two. Like I go see my buddies in Amsterdam and I, I know they're millionaires and I'm I'm happy for them. I'm proud of them. Like that shit is amazing. And then I go see my folks in other places and they low key kind of invented some of this shit that we do and they're not millionaires. And I'm like, Why? I'm glad we were able to find time to do this today. I know there was uh, some some cross signals, but I want to end this by saying that you've given me a good day. And if you believe life is precious, you know, good days are limited. Thank you for your time, sharing your insight, your craft, your 10,000 hour journey. And uh, next time you go to Japan, let me come with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up, man. Let's work something out. Yeah, let's figure it out, man. Um, stay tuned in. Still in drums on everything. Controllerize on everything. Um, there's a few more initiatives that we're working on this year that I'm really excited about that I can't talk about yet. So like stay tuned into the channels and you can see the stuff roll out. I'm doing some real life stuff for local businesses and craftsmen and folks like yourself that I think need some light. Also, yeah, as always, three things. Number one, life is good. Number two, time is precious. Number three, make somebody smile because that shit is amazing. Uh, drink water, eat fruit, be blessed, stay safe, pay it forward. Look out for your friends. Fuck 12. That, That's all I got. And drink water. I want to highlight that. Drink water, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> important. Important.